Greetings fellow captains and welcome back to Rank Amateur. Today on Rank Amateur we are featuring by listener request, actually a listener who's been waiting since March 20th to get their request, so I figured it was uh, more than time to give them a request for doing the tier 6 non-premium German battleship, not battlecruiser, the Bayern. A ship that's been in the game for a long time and I figured it was time to feature it. Now many of you may know that the uh, Bayern in World of Warships is not the Bayern that would have appeared in real life. It's actually been modernized to appear as though uh, it survived, or well, that Germany didn't lose World War One, and it survived the internment at Scapa Flow uh, after Germany lost World War One. It was It's modernized with modern anti-aircraft artillery, or well, I guess modern as of World War Two anti-aircraft artillery and um, secondary guns. It has the, the more advanced German 105mm guns, and I think it has 155mm on it, dotted around it too. Uh, Germany did have secondary guns equipped on the Bayern, obviously, uh, as it was launched, however, did not, uh, it was not turreted. They were casemate-mounted guns, pretty much exclusively. There was a few anti-aircraft guns on it, but not many, as aircraft didn't really play that major of a part in World War One, other than, uh, reconnaissance, really. There was very few naval attack aircraft in World War One in comparison to World War Two. Uh, so, Bayern did exist, however. She did exist in real life. Uh, she was uh, built in the later stages of the war. She was named uh, for Bavaria, which is a kingdom within the German Empire, and she was built in the Kiel Dockyard. She was laid down on the 22nd of December 1913, just before the war began. The war would begin about six months later or so. Uh, actually, I think like seven months. Uh, she was launched on the Feb- 18th of February 1915 and commissioned on the 15th of July 1916, which was too late for her to take part in the legendary Battle of Jutland. Uh, she would eventually be scuttled in gutter sound of Scapa Flow on the 21st of June 1919, but she would actually survive the war. Uh, so, she had a displacement of 28,530 tons, uh, at the full load, it was 32,200 tons. Uh, so you'll notice that this is actually very small, uh, in comparison to many of the other ships that we see in World of Warships, such as the Des Moines-class cruisers, which I believe displaced around 32,000 tons. And it just shows you how, uh, large ships actually got towards the end of traditional artillery warfare, at least pertaining to, well, naval warfare. She was 590 feet 7 inches long, or 180 meters. She had a beam of 30 meters, or 98 feet 5 inches. Uh, She had a draft of 9.4 meters, or 30 feet 10 inches, which, for a battleship her size, is actually quite significant. Uh, She had installed power of 14 water tube boilers and produced 35,000 shaft horsepower, which isn't much for her displacement. 
She had three steam turbines and three screw propellers. The three propeller design was kind of a German thing. You don't typically see many other ships that have uh, three screws. Usually it's going to be two or four, but the Germans were kind of weird. Had one center-mounted screw and two screws on the side. And now there are ships out there that obviously are not German and have three screws. I mean, look at the Titanic. But uh, warships generally didn't, or at least in my experience, uh, with researching these things. She had a top speed of 22 knots and a range of 5,000 nautical miles at 12 knots. So she was a bit of a slower ship, but this was kind of average for the time. She had a crew of only 42 officers, but 1,129 enlisted crew members, which was a decent crew size for the time. She carried eight 380mm guns, or 15-inch guns. Uh, they're SKL 45 caliber guns, and that was pretty insane for the time. It was pretty heavily armed and heavily armored for the time. She carried 16 150mm guns. Uh, they're 5.9 inches. They're also 45 calibers. And she carried four 88-centimeter, uh, 88 88-millimeter 88 guns. They're also 45 caliber. And she did carry five 24-inch or 600-millimeter torpedo tubes. Uh, these were fixed and submerged below the waterline, which was normal for the time. She had uh, lots of armor. Um, although not as much as uh, some of the really heavily armored dreadnoughts were, but definitely more than a lot of like the British battlecruisers, and well, certainly more than the German battlecruisers had at that time. Uh, so she had a belt of about 170 millimeters to 350 millimeters, obviously thickest at the waterline towards the center of the vessel. And she had a conning tower that's 400 millimeters thick, a deck that was 60 millimeters to 100 millimeters thick. Yes, this has been reduced in actual World of Warships. I believe the deck is like like 38 millimeters thick or something like that, so way less than it actually was. The turrets have 200 to 350 millimeters of armor. So like I said, very heavily armored ship. Not the most heavily armored we've seen, but definitely one of uh, the top ones of the war. And actually, design work on the Byron class began in 1910 uh, in the context of the Anglo-German arms race, which was one of the uh, leading factors in World War I. Uh, not like the principal factor leading to war, but certainly something that uh, was a good indicator of the high tension between uh, Britain and Germany, especially pertaining to uh, their weapons. And the uh, discussion initially centered around the main battery and what to equip there. It was determined that they would like to up the main battery, uh, at least the size and caliber of the main battery. However, they would have to sacrifice overall amounts. I believe the previous class, like the Kaiser class, only carried they only carried 12-inch guns, but they did carry 10 of them. So they'd have to sacrifice an extra turret to uh, obtain the larger caliber of guns and the necessary weight to actually be able to build a stable vessel. It was interesting because the German Navy, at least Alfred von Tirpitz, was able to pressure the uh, Reichstag into appropriating additional funds via public outcry to the development and uh, purchase of the Bayern-class battleships. Uh, it has to do with something called the Agadir Crisis, and this was essentially when the uh, French began to take over Morocco. The Germans were upset about this, that France was taking over more territory than the Germans wanted them to. So they sent a gunboat, which was the SMS Panther, to the area, um, and this, there was actually talk of war this early, and this was in 1911, April through November of 1911. However, both sides kind of backed down, and they came to a negotiation 
uh, I guess settlement. Uh, France took over Morocco, and German Cameroon was expanded uh, with territorial concessions from the French Congo. Uh, however, there was a Germanic reaction in Britain, which sort of uh, humiliated Germany, and at least their German foreign policy, because Germany uh, was... Uh, the German actions were viewed as uh, essentially, I guess, uh, a uh, violation of what we would call international law today, but more just it was a gross use of brute force is what it was called in Britain. And it showed Germany that it really had no allies in uh, any crisis that it would cause or any any international crisis that it could occur, such as, you know, World War One or something like that. And uh, it made the German public very upset because they thought that they had uh, it was just going to be between them and France and that Britain wouldn't really stay involved in anything that would happen in continental Europe but then Britain made it very clear that they would get involved so it upset the German public and it created a push for a more uh, well-funded military uh, even more so than it had already been built up because it realized that our, the German public was slowly realizing that they would be alone in an international crisis and that they were unlikely to find many if any allies. They did eventually find Austro-Hungarian Empire as an ally, however uh, their actual tactical use in World War One was questionable at best. There were some other smaller allies, but uh, really Germany was the only sole power in uh, World War One, at least on the side of the Central Powers. And then people are going to argue with me that yes, the Ottoman Empire came in, however they were definitely in a different area of the world, uh, notably the Middle East, and it was just their purpose was essentially just to draw away uh, British resources and things, which turned out to not be super successful because France didn't really care about uh, the uh, Ottoman Empire as much as they cared about Germany, so it did not draw away enough resources to ensure a German victory. Anyways, let's get on with the uh, design of the Bayern. So essentially, it was just supposed to be a better... German battleship it was the next evolution in the design, better armor, better guns, and uh, that was uh, that, that was pretty much it for the Bayern. She was ordered in 1912, and uh, work began on the construction number 590 in 1913. Uh, so she joined uh, the 3rd Battle Squadron in the High Seas Fleet upon her commissioning. Uh, she would have been available for operation earlier, but the ship's crew, which composed largely of the crew from the recently decommissioned, I can't speak today, decommissioned battleship Lothringen, I, th I think that's how you say it, Lothringen, which uh, that crew had been given leave, so uh, the ship just sat in port while there was a war raging, uh, waiting for people to actually crew the ship. Um, there was two ships that were, uh, or there was four ships that originally planned in this class, only two would be completed. The uh, final two ships would be canceled before they were completed because uh, the focus shifted on building more affordable uh, and tactically useful U-boats uh, because it was realized that the German Navy, although uh, technically advanced and very well engineered, would not have the numbers to overcome the British high seas fleet, which was its main purpose. So they switched to U-boat development and construction to ensure that they could try and do their best to disrupt the British supply lines. The story of the Bayern, and for that matter, much of the German high seas fleet, was uh, centered around the actual movements of the British Grand Fleet, which was in both numbers and arguably, well, maybe not technologically, but definitely in numbers far superior to the German high seas fleet. 
and the Germans were trying to pick off small sections of German of the British fleet. Uh, if they could catch them off guard, they knew that they had the the technical superiority and uh, superior accuracy to actually pick off small portions of the German fleet of the. I keep saying that German fleet of the British fleet. However, the British fleet never came out in small sections. They just sent like all 300-something-odd warships after the German fleet, which uh, made the Germans decide they didn't really want any smoke and go back home to port. Uh, yes, yeah, so this happened multiple times. A notable example is on the 18th and 19th of August, 1916. Uh, essentially, this would be a bombardment co- conducted by the first scouting group, and this was an attempt to draw out and destroy Admiral David Betty's battlecruisers. Uh, not the whole fleet. So uh, Moltke and von der Tann were the only German battlecruisers still in fighting condition, and uh, three dreadnoughts were assigned with them for this operation. Essentially, uh, they would go out and uh, make the British angry and then draw out some of the British ships, and then the rest of the high seas fleet would essentially lie in wait so they could draw out the German, uh, the British battlecruisers, and then they would destroy them. And then they could slowly like repeat this process and hopefully pick off all the British ships. They were planning on catching them off guard and so that some of them would be in port or something refueling or not able to come out while the German high seas fleet was out. And by the time the British had readied the rest of their fleet, the German high seas fleet would be gone back in their protective minefield in their home part of Wilhelmshaven. So this never really ended up working out for the Germans because unbeknownst to the Germans and their crappy intelligence services, which by the way would affect them in both World War One and World War Two, German intelligence would constantly fail the German armed forces and catch them or cause them to be caught off guard or just look stupid a lot. So uh, the radio transmissions organizing this uh, raid. Uh, were intercepted by the British, and the British readied their whole fleet and came out with their whole fleet and were lying in wait for the German ships. The German ships realized that the whole Grand Fleet was there, and like I said, they decided they didn't want to get any smoke, so they returned to port. And, uh, yeah, so this happened several times, uh, and the German admirals and high brass were just not willing to take another close call like that happened in Jutland because Jutland had occurred just 11 weeks earlier. In September of 1917, the Germans conquered the port of Riga, the Russian port of Riga, and the German Navy decided to evict the Russian naval forces that still held the Gulf of Riga. And so, essentially, a joint Navy, Navy military, Navy army operation was ordered to seize the Baltic islands of Usil, particularly the Russian gun batteries on the Swarb Peninsula. I don't know how to pronounce these names. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm doing my best here. And uh, so essentially the third battle squadron, along with this flagship, the Maltke, uh, were to sortie and support this operation. At the time, five division included the Bayern class and four Koenig class battleships, and the 6th Division consisted of five Kaiser-class battleships, along with nine light cruisers, three torpedo boat flotillas, and dozens upon dozens of mine warfare ships. The entire force numbered around 300 ships, supported by about 100 aircraft and six zeppelins. And this was a formidable invasion force for any military to face. However, we're talking about the Russian Tsarist military, which um, consisted of a high command of Bonobo the Monkey and several Sneeches. Uh, so, the German forces numbered around 24,600 officers and enlisted men. Opposing the Germans were Russian pre-dreadnought battleships Slava and Sarvich, along with the iron armored cruisers Bayan, Admiral Makarov, and Diana. 
26 destroyers and several torpedo boats and gunboats, and the garrison on Osil numbered some 14,000 men. Uh, they were absolutely no match whatsoever for the German firepower. The operation began on the 12th of October, and Bayern, along with Moltke and four Koenigs, uh, began to open up on Russian shore batteries on Taga Bay. Simultaneously, five Kaiser-class battleships engaged the batteries on the Swarb Peninsula, and the objective was to essentially lock down the Russian escape route between the Moon and Daigo Islands. And Byron's role in this operation was unfortunately uh, shortened when she struck a mine uh, at about 5.07 in the morning uh, while maneuvering to her bombardment position. The mine explosion did kill one officer and six sailors and allowed 980 long tons of water into the ship and caused the forecastle to actually lower by about 2 meters, which is 6.6 .6 feet for my Federal Americans. And uh, despite this damage, she did manage to power on and engage her naval battery, destroying it. And she was released from duty, however, at 1400 hours, which is 2 p.m. And preliminary repairs were made on the 13th of October, the following day in Taga Bay. However, they proved to be ineffective, and Bayern had to be withdrawn from the operation and then returned to Kiel for repairs. And the trip took 19 days. Repairs lasted from the 3rd of November to the 27th of December 1917, during which her forward torpedo tube room was stripped of its equipment and the ports were sealed. Uh, the room was turned into a, an additional watertight compartment, and four additional 88mm guns were fitted during the repairs. Uh, and interestingly enough, the uh, battle, like I said, was a, a complete and total German victory. Uh, the two Koenig-class battleships present and several smaller vessels were sent to engage Russian battleships in the Gulf of Riga on the 16th of October, which is just a few days after the, uh, the actual Bayern had left. Koenig and Kong Prince engaged the Russian battleships. Uh, Koenig decided to duel with Slava, and Koning Prince fired on both Slava and an additional cruiser, which is Bayern. Uh, the Russian vessels were hit dozens upon dozens of times until at 10.30 in the morning, the Russian naval commander, Admiral Baikarev, I think is its name, ordered their withdrawal. Slava had taken far too much damage to escape the German forces, so the decision was made to scuttle her, and her remaining crew was able to escape aboard a Russian destroyer. Uh, by the 20th of October, naval operations were basically over, the Russian fleet had been destroyed or forced to withdraw, and the German army held the islands with an iron grip. Upon her return to the fleet on December 27th, 1917, Bayern was assigned to security duties in the North Sea, ensuring that the German Grand Fleet didn't get any interesting ideas. Admiral Scheer used his light surface forces to attack British convoys to Norway beginning in 1917, and as a result of this, the Royal Navy had begun to attach squadrons of battleships to protect the convoys, and apparently when you see battleships on the horizons, the light cruisers tend to start to flee. Uh, and it presented Scheer with the possibility of destroying a detached squadron of the Grand Fleet, which actually played into their hands. However, um, it was... Uh, not going to be successful, we'll say, but for a different reason than before. Scheer had realized that the uh, that the British had been intercepting German radio signals because they seemed to know his every move, so he deduced that they were getting radio signals by just decrypting them. Uh, so what he did is he enforced strict radio silence, commuting only 
by signal flags and essentially just maneuvering the old-fashioned way, which uh, would have taken the British by complete surprise. However, uh, the intelligence services of Germany would fail him once more. The intelligence services had essentially been keeping track of British movements uh, with their U-boats. It would essentially just surface and monitor uh, British positions from a long distance, so it was nearly impossible to detect uh, the U-boats, because uh, at this time, uh, anything equivalent to like hydroacoustic surge sonar or anything like that was not uh, yet invented or conceived. So uh, it was a very effective tool in the German arsenal that was horribly misused. Uh, a miscommunication between Scheer's forces and uh, the intelligence services resulted in them sorting on the wrong day. They were told that the uh, British forces would sortie and uh, begin their convoys at the beginning and middle of each week. Uh, so they sorted at the beginning of the week to meet them. However, this was actually incorrect. The British mainly sorted on the later portions of the week. How, so uh, convoys had basically reached their targets by the time the Germans even left port, which made their operation pointless. They were never able to contact or come in contact with any detached British warships. And on the same day, one of Maltke's screws slipped off its mounting, which caused serious damage to its power plant, opened up a hole in the back of the ship that was able to allow 2,000 tons of water into the ship. Maltke was forced to break radio silence or to inform Shear of the ship's condition, uh, which could not be easily conveyed uh, through signal flags. This immediately alerted the Royal Navy's high seas fleet to the Germans, or no, Royal Navy Grand Fleet to the uh, German high seas fleet's at activities. Wow, that's a mouthful. Uh, they sorted with a force of 31 battleships, four battle cruisers, and various support ships. Uh, they were actually too late to intercept the retreating Germans, but the Germans, as soon as they broke their radio silence, knew that the Royal Navy would be listening and decided to abandon the operation. Uh, so, the Bayern, from early from late September to early October of 1918, served as flagship in number 3 squadron. Um... And essentially, the German high seas fleet was to have sortied from Williamshaven, or Wilhelmshaven, uh, to engage the British Grand Fleet at any cost. The, lar the objective was to essentially engage this fleet and inflict as much damage as physically possible to obtain a better bargaining position in the peace negotiations that were inevitable after Germany's inevitable surrender to the British. However, uh, war-weary sailors began to riot when they heard the news. On the 24th of October 1918, the order was given to sail, and the starting of the night of 29th October, as final preparations were being uh, made, uh, several battleships mutinied. Three ships from number three squadron refused to weigh anchor, and acts of sabotage were committed aboard the battleships Thurgan and Helgeland. And the order to sail was rescinded in the space of completely open revolt. The attempt to suppress the mutiny, battleship squadrons were dispersed. Bayern, along with the rest of number three squadron, was sent to Kiel. Following the capitulation of Germany in November 1918, uh, well, we know what happens to the German high seas fleet. They are forced to sail the Scapa Flow and slowly suffer in Scapa Flow for months as peace negotiations become underway, when it becomes evident that the German high seas fleet will be disposed of or captured or like fully taken and split apart among the Allies. The German high seas fleet decides to scuttle itself, with a great many of highly technically advanced battleships uh, being lost to the depths of the British waters uh, by 
self-inflicted demolition charges that were placed aboard these warships. So, uh, literal dozens of warships dotted the uh, seafloor after this and were uh, no good anymore for anything but scrap. Uh, And... Uh, 1934 is when the the British or the British would finally get around to removing the Byron from uh, the bottom of the seabed. Uh, actually, to this day, you can still dive on the remains of Byron, uh, although her hull has been raised and scrapped. Uh, her main battery gun turrets remain on the seafloor between 125 and 148 feet below the sea level, which is approximately 38 to 45 meters down. And are easily accessible by well, semi-easily accessible by scuba divers. Uh, they're a re- uh, they're a recently popular dive site. So that is the story of the Bayern. It's a lot more interesting than you would think for a ship that was commissioned just two years before the war ended in a war that was largely centered around naval engagements that happened within the first few months slash first year of the war. But it was reasonably interesting to see how the German, the poor German intelligence services still had an effect this late in the war, even though uh, the fate of Germany and its military was largely sealed by this point. We will now go on to the World of Warships section of this episode. Just as a disclaimer, as usual, when we're going over the ship specifications, I will assume you've equipped all the equipment and researched and bought it, so uh, that's what we will go off of here. Okay, so this ship does not really, um, it's it's not really modeled after the ship we see in real life. Like I said, it's been modernized, it's a bit different, it's it's as if, uh, like I said, it survives the Scapa Flow incident, and uh, was modernized with new propulsion systems, new targeting systems, new um, anti-aircraft systems, and new secondary systems. Uh, the propulsion, for example, rather than having 30,000 shaft horsepower, it has 75,000 shaft horsepower, which gives gives it a speed in game of a whopping 25 knots, a whole three knots faster than it was in real life. But without further ado, let's get going. So as in real life, the ship carries four turrets, two guns each of those 380 millimeter 45 caliber guns. Uh, they're 1913 uh, types on a DRH LC 1913 mount, and they have a range of a pretty short 17.73 kilometers. Usually we like to see that around 19 kilometers at this tier, but uh, I guess we'll take what we can get. Not like you're going to be hitting anything at that range, and we'll we'll get to that in a second. Real time is 30 seconds, and the rate of fire is going to be two rounds a minute at that speed. 180 degree turn time is a bit long at 51.43 seconds. You usually like to see that around the 45 second mark or less, but I guess we'll take what we can get with these nice 15 inch guns. Uh, her accuracy leaves much to be desired. Sigma is just 1.8, which is low. And uh, it's not as low as it can get. We do have ships that have 1.5 Sigma and stuff, but it's it's not great. Um, we usually like to see around 2.0, but it is just tier 6. So I guess, we'll t- again, we'll take what we can get. The accuracy, however, is uh, a bit interesting. It's 17.73 kilometers. She has a maximum dispersion horizontal of a absolutely horrific 283 or 238 meters, and maximum dispersion vertical of an even worse 143 meters, uh, which is terrible. You will hit nothing at the maximum range of the ship. Yes, it is has amazing guns, and these guns are amazing, be, not necessarily because of the raw damage they do, although it's decent. Um, it's because they overmatch everything at the tier. You can fire straight through a battleship's forward plating at the tier with these gun- 
with these guns and you can overmatch most every cruiser except for certain tier 8 cruisers. You can sit it on them straight through the nose. As far as the HE shells are concerned, the HE shells are going to have a maximum damage of 4,500 and a DPM of 72,000. Uh, as we know with German ships, their high explosive raw damage output is absolutely horrific, but it tends, tends to start a decent amount of fires. Initial shove velocity is pretty respectable, uh, well, reasonably respectable. It's only 800 meters a second, but it's certainly better than the Americans. Shells weigh 750 kilograms, they have a depth explosion of 4 meters, HE penetration of an absolutely astonishing 95 millimeters, and a burn probability of 35%. So it may not do much damage per hit, but you're going to get usually full damage hits when you hit something, especially an unsaturated target, with the Byron's HE shells. You'll get about two fires a minute, but 1.94 is the calculations. Uh, as far as the AP shells go, you have raw DPM 174,400, maximum damage of a decent 10,900, uh, same initial shell velocity is 800 meters a second, same shell weight 750 kilograms, ricochet is going to be standard at 45 to 60 degrees, uh, as far as the threshold, anything past 60 degrees will ricochet, anything past 45 degrees will penetrate, assuming you have enough penetration power. The depth explosion is 2 meters, uh, the overmatch is going to be 26 millimeters, uh, which is enough to overmatch, obviously, to the 25 millimeter bows of many cruisers. However, you will bounce off of the uh, Baltimore's bow, which is going to be 27 millimeters all around. The arming threshold is 63 millimeters, and the fuse timer is a standard 0.33 seconds. The uh, aiming sectors leave a little bit to be desired, but they're really, for a battleship of this tier, they're not bad. They're certainly workable. Uh, there are worse around this tier. <coughs> uh, Vanguard. Anyways, excuse me. Uh, yes, so I know Vanguard's a tier 8, but still, that ship is just the epitome of bad firing angles. Uh, it, you get your HE bomb airstrike for the depth charges. They're going to have a range of 8 kilometers, and they drop a single bomb. And it's going to do 3,400 damage, so I have one deal with Submarine's Weirdo. The secondary battery is kind of where it starts to get decent. It's a 5.6 kilometer range, which is short because you know, it's a tier 6 battleship and everything. It's going to have 10 uh, single barrel 150 millimeter guns. They're going to have a maximum damage of 1,800, uh, 835 meters second velocity, 8.57 second reload, rate of fire is going to be 7 rounds per minute. Uh, 1.0 Sigma, 350 meter dispersion, which really isn't bad. 38 millimeters HD penetration and a 10% fire chance. You get those 105 shells. You're going to have 6x2, six, 6 turrets, 2 guns each, 105 slash 65 caliber SKC slash 33 shells on a DOPLC31 mount, if that makes any sense to anyone. Maximum damage going to be about 1,200, 900 meters second velocity, 3.35 second reload, and 1.0 sigma, 350 meter dispersion, a 5% chance of starting fire, and 26 millimeters of penetration. As far as AA defenses, it's not great. I'm not going to lie. It, it's not terrible. Uh, no, actually it is terrible, excuse me. Uh, so your medium range AA is going to do a whopping 42 damage per second, and the outer range is going to do a whopping 140 damage per second. The near damage is going to be 101.5 DPS, so a total DPS of under 300, which is terrible. So have fun getting absolutely um, slapped around, we'll say, by the tier 8 carriers. 
For tier 6, we don't have super bad of a hit point pool. It's going to be 51,600. Fires last 60 seconds. It's going to hurt. It's going to be 9,000 damage of fire. Flooding lasts 40 seconds. It's going to be 10,000 damage of fire. This ship loves to eat fire and flooding damage. She's consumed of an actually respectable 13.44 kilometers. After firing main guns and smoke, it's going to bloom up to 12.7 kilometers. When on fire, it blooms up to 15 kilometers. From the air, that you're going to be seen approximately 8.74 kilometers away. Maneuverability is pretty decent for a battleship, especially a dreadnought battleship. 25 second tops, or 25 second, 25 knot top speed with a actually pretty astonishing 630 meter turning circle radius and a redshift time of an insanely short 13.9 seconds. This thing does bring itself around very quickly. You're going to have a standard damage control, a standard heal, four charges, 0.5% HP per second, cooldown timer 80 seconds, action time 28 seconds, and you'll have your standard spotter plane. As far as upgrades are concerned, there's a few different ways you can take this. If you're planning on continuing uh, continuing to grind up the uh, tech tree, uh, there's two different options you can go. You can go survivability, which you could make these ships an impossible tank to sink, or at least a tank that takes a lot of damage to sink, or you can go for the fun build. You can go for the secondary build. And while the ship's secondaries are decent, but nothing to write home about, uh, I mean, they kind of are something to write home about at um, tier 6, but when you start getting up to your tier 7 and 8, and you face the likes of now and the Bismarck, it really doesn't shine that much. Um, but the, the build is more fun, and it would prepare you, your commander, for those uh, ships that come up later in the line. So... Although it's not more tactically efficient, I do prefer to run secondary builds on German ships. Now everyone's going to throw a fit because, it's yes, it's not tactically efficient. I understand that I would probably get further by just uh, going with a standard survivability build. However, the Bayern's guns are so inaccurate that it's hard to use them uh, in a realistic fashion. So I find it more fun, or in a realistic fashion from range. So I find it more fun to engage in close-range night fights. Because remember, those German ships have that turtleback armor, which is pretty tough at this tier. Uh, you basically won't be citadeled unless you encounter something Russian with the zillion meters of penetration that those guns have. They're basically just high-grade uh, carbon lasers. Um... You'll uh, find yourself pretty tough to kill. Uh, now, that's not to say that you won't take massive amounts of chunk damage if someone uh, does manage to get a good armor piercing salvo off that penetrates your belt. It won't citadel you, but you'll still take a lot of damage. Um, yeah, so it, it makes knife fights pretty fun in this ship, and it means that your guns will actually get close enough to hit something. So that's what build will do. Uh, you, like I said, can do survivability. It's not as fun, though. And since this is a game, I'm not going for tactical efficiency. I'm going to have some fun and uh, maybe get some tactical efficiency along the way. Uh, that's what we're going to do. So, starting off with main armaments modification 1. And I know you can go with auxiliary armaments modification 1 and get your secondary battery survivability up. Definitely a viable plan to do. However, I don't really want to do that because I want to make sure that my main battery uh, is uh, working so I can dish out my main amount of damage. Like I said, you can switch that. Um, I'm going to do damage control system modification 1 because this thing likes to catch on fire. As far as the next modification, we're going to do secondary battery modification 1 because the guns are so horrible, it's almost there's almost no point in trying to make them better as far as the main guns are concerned. And after that, uh, we're going to do damage control system modification 2 so we don't burn up like a Christmas tree. We are going to anyways, but at least it'll be less painful. 
And for the skills for battleships, let's see what we have here. We're going to have demolitions, experts, uh, gun fear, all these different options. Remember, I haven't actually played this ship per se. I do have a Pomeran, and I've done 220,000 damage in ranked with certain builds like this. Now, yes, that doesn't happen every day, but it certain ha certainly happens, and things like that happen a lot. Um, so I think I got a pretty good hang of German battleships in general. Yes, I know it's a fast battleship, it's different than the Myron, but some things will transfer over. I would say use Gunfeeder, uh, because the German high explosive is pretty good at penetrating things. However, you do have 15-inch guns, which means you won't need to use high explosive because you'll penetrate everything at your tier. Uh, we're going to do Emergency Repair Specialist. Um because that is the most useful thing at this tier. However, I would also advocate using preventative maintenance, so I'm going to select both those things from the first tier. Uh, as to which one you pick first is up to you. I'd probably pick preventative maintenance first, but both of these skills are going to be useful. Oh, I went, forgot to go over the um, torpedo damage reduction. Uh, the probability re or the damage reduction is 19%, so very, very low. So if you're running a survivability build, you may want to pick up Vigilance, um, that's certainly going to help you out a lot. We'll take priority target though, because we do want to know when we can and when we cannot push. We're going to pick up long range secondary battery shells in the third slot. Yes, you're going to ignore adrenaline rush. This is the only time you're going to ignore adrenaline rush the first time around. After that, what are we going to pick? But we're going to pick manual secondary battery aiming, because what would a secondary battery build be without manual secondary battery aiming? Uh, as far as the next one, uh, we're probably going to want to go with uh, either Basics of Survivability or Adrenaline Rush. I'm going to pick Adrenaline Rush because, um, yeah, well, why, why go with Efficiency and Survivability? After that, you're going to be at a 14-point Commander, so you might want to go with Basics of Survivability because that reduces your uh, time of repair, fire extinguishing, and recovery from flooding. After that, um... You could go with close quarters combat. Jeez, um, I forget because I know there's another buff that doesn't appear in Wild's FT. It's I think it's a buff to your secondary batteries, but I'd have to check. Um, you could go with Furious if you want. I don't really see much of a use for it. Fire prevention expert also could be useful, but if you have four fires burning on you, you should be using your damage control. Uh, what to do next? Hmm. You could just stick with this, because this is a 17-point commander, so we could just stick with this, because most people, when they play the Byron, probably aren't going to have a 21-point commander on them. Uh, however, Emergency Repair Expert is certainly use useful, because you get that extra charge of heal. So that will get you your 21-point commander there. Now, there is room for uh, adjustment here. Uh, you could take Grease the Gears, you could take Vigilance, uh, and maybe sacrifice Emergency Repair Experts. Um, just to get you a little bit more uh, survivability, versatility uh, throughout the battle. As far as flags are concerned, we're going to do Juliet Charlie, India Yankee, Juliet Yankee Abyssal 2, India Delta, Sierra Mike, November Foxtrot. So these are going to ensure that your magazine doesn't blow up, that you reduce fires. Uh, by the way, fire and flood flags are mandatory on this ship and pretty much every other battleship. So do uh, they're worth buying in the shop for coal or credits if you uh, do run out of them. Uh, India Delta, also mandatory. Sierra Mike, you can live without. November Foxtrot, you can kind of live without, but I really, really would suggest that. 
that. Uh, and then we're going to fly, fly the secondary uh, battery flag, which is the Mike Yankee Sostics, or Soxy 6. I, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm sorry. I'm bad at pronunciation. Uh, you can run... F um, uh, because we don't have hydroacoustic surge, because this is only tier eight, tier six and not tier eight. Uh, how about this? Run the ramming flag. We are going to be running the ramming flag because we'll be approaching ships relatively closely, and it's not abnormal to uh, face a ramming type situation, especially if you're dueling with another ship at the end of the battle. And I've seen it actually save uh, some people from a loss on several occasions, which will probably not happen commonly to you, but it's certainly not bad to run the flag since most people tend to have a stockpile of ramming flags. Anyways, that'll get us all eight flags. So, most notably, this is going to prove our secondary battery and our survivability. Now, fires here are only going to do 5,000 damage per fire, compared to the nearly 10,000 damage. Uh, they're only going to last 34.7 seconds. Floods are only going to last 23.1 seconds. And they're going to have a total damage of just 5,965. Our uh, heal is now going to have 0.6% HP per second. It's going to last 30.8 seconds, have a cooldown time of just 73.7 seconds. Same with our damage control party, only 73.7 seconds, cooldown time, and an action time of 16.5 seconds. As far as our secondary armament is concerned, it now has an 8.47 kilometer range, which is respectable enough to surprise several players at tier 6, especially uh, the newer ones. Our uh, 150s are going to have a 7.33 second reload time. They'll do 1,800 uh, damage. Uh, they are only going to penetrate the 38 millimeters of armor, which is more than enough you should come across. The uh, 105s are going to penetrate two or going to uh, have a 2.86 second reload. They are only going to penetrate the uh, 26 millimeters of armor. They are going to have a sigma still of 1.0, but they'll only have 160 meter dispersion, which is like just over half the dispersion that they had before. If you would like more damage and to go for a full secondary build, you can drop Adrenaline Rush and you can go with super heavy AP shells. And that, or not, not super heavy AP shells, what am I thinking? You're gonna go with um, uh, IFHE. So you can drop priority target and go with uh, IFHE if that's what you want. Man, I am uh, not doing well today. Yeah, so you can drop IFHE if that's uh, what you desire uh, to go for a full secondary build. And if you feel you're situationally aware enough uh, to uh, see how many ships are actually shooting at you or planning on shooting at you or at least targeting you. Um, so yeah, if you're really going risky, you can take the IFHE and that will get you 32 millimeters HE penetration on your 105 millimeter shells. Dang, it's almost like World of Warships like builds and percentages and things like that to ensure that certain thresholds are met if certain builds are made on their ships. I wonder if this is like programmed into the balancing of the game. I think it is. It's almost like you need to have high skill commanders so you would you would pay them for extra XP to get these high skill commanders so you can actually do better in battle. Wow, that's a wild thought. I wonder wonder if that has any basis anywhere. Anyways, and you have 47 millimeters of penetration on your 150s. So yeah, you will um, penetrate some belt armor on a variety of ships, sometimes even battle cruisers, uh, with your uh, secondary guns. So that'll be cool. Anyways, so oh, and on your main battery guns, you're gonna have an absolutely whopping. Uh, 118 millimeters of HE penetration. Yes, you can citadel many ships with your HE penetration, uh, which is fun. Although HE citadels are, uh, especially in German ships, are kind of pointless because it does half the damage an armor piercing does. So, as far as playing this battleship, well, it's interesting. 
And it's kind of a similar problem, or this ship faces similar problems that other German ships face, uh, especially with secondary builds. And the number one problem I see with players is overextending. It's very easy to get carried away with your secondaries and wanting to use your secondaries in these ships, right? You just spend all those commander points and all those credits equipping all the perfect skills to give you the most, or skills and flags, upgrades and stuff to get you the perfect secondary build ship for your tier. However, you have to remember with any build, these certain skills are only applicable in certain situations. You have to be very opportunistic with this. You cannot overuse your secondaries. You will die. You will not have fun, okay? This is not something to go in the first opening minutes of the battle. Just charge into a cap and just assume your secondaries will save the day. They won't, and your main batteries don't reload often enough and aren't accurate enough to consistently deal enough damage to save you from that situation. Uh, so yeah... You definitely have to hang back a little bit. Now, I am not saying hit, stay back at maximum range and just take pot shots all day, because you will land less than one, an average of one shell per salvo, and you'll probably get an overpenetration or a ricochet or something, and you will literally do no damage the entire game. The ideal range for this ship within the first few minutes of the battle is around 12 kilometers to 10 kilometers, right? It's difficult in this ship, however, though, because if things go south, your top speed is just 25 knots. You will be outrun, if you're up tier to tier 8, you will be outrun by nearly everything. So, if you're up tiered, you have to realize that you are not going to be able to push or do much in the early stages of the battle. It's just not what the Byron's for. You, the risk of overextending is too great. If you realize that the enemy force that you're facing on your flank is superior to your own force, or that your own force is not engaging adequately, do not attempt to save the day. This is not a flank-pushing ship. Uh, this isn't Pommern, this isn't Bismarck, and it certainly isn't Gorosakira first. Okay, so don't think that you can do that in the ship. The ship's a good ship, but it is not that, and it will punish any player that tries to do that with it, uh, notably by a quick send back to port. So, what do you do with this ship? Well, if it's, it stresses situational awareness, right? Because in the beginning of the battle, you're traditionally not really supposed to engage with your seconders. But if you realize that you have a ton of support in the beginning of the battle, and you realize that the enemy ships are not necessarily staying at a super long range, meaning that you won't just get HE spammed into oblivion, you can push forward and use your secondaries. And usually, you can wreck the enemy team. Destroyers and cruisers and things that sit behind islands um, trying to take pot shots at you, but aren't actually for, at a super high or super long range. You can uh, send it around the islands and usually deal with them pretty quickly. However, if you find out that you have only mediocre support or well, no support, don't take the risk and try and uh, push forward with your secondaries. The best thing for you to do is stay alive and be useful to your team later in the battle. Now, I'm not saying go to the to the J line or whatever, the edge of the map, and try and get to the next map over. I'm saying that you should turn around and slowly kite away. I'm saying put her the not maybe not quite quarter speed, but half speed or something, and try and delay the enemy's advance. If their force is clearly far superior to yours, then yes, a full retreat would be necessary. But it's it's very much dependent on the situation, how you play the ship. Sometimes there's ships like the French cruisers and things like that that work pretty good, no matter how you use them, 
or no matter the situation with one style. You just flank really hard, and most of the time, probably about 60 to 75% of the time, you'll be fine. You'll do a respectable amount of damage, and you'll help your team out a lot. This is not the case with the German battleships. Yes, their secondaries are very good. Yes, they're very good at dueling. However, their pet peeve, or their kryptonite, is cruisers and battleships that sit at range and take pot shots at them. Particularly those cruisers and battleships that are good at sitting at range and taking pot shots at them. I understand you can't face Musashi at this tier, but you can face Nagato, you can face Amagi. Those ships are very accurate at range and can wreck you. They will overmatch your plating and will send you back to port. Remember, this has a German armor scheme, and generally it's a very good armor scheme, but it can be trolly. It can be trolly for both you and the players fighting you. Yes, sometimes you will take a full salvo from the Amagi, and you will survive just fine. Sometimes you'll take two of its front turrets and somehow get sent back to port because it found a weird uh, angle on your citadel that just penetrated through your deck. Because remember, you don't have the deck armor that the Byron truly had in real life. Anyways, you have to remember that this is just, you have to use common sense with this thing and be aware of your map. This is one of those ships where you should literally have your mini-map take up half the screen if you're not good at paying attention to it. Like, turn your mini-map transparency on so you can see what's, like, uh, see the, like, so you can see what's behind it, but increase the size. All you have to do is press the plus button, and it literally increases in size. That's what you need to do. You need to be aware of everything that's going on in the battle and knowing when it's okay to push, when it's not okay to push, right? If there's tons of torpedo destroyers around the island, don't push into it. I don't care how tough your ship is or how good it is with secondaries. Those, even Mutsuki torps, if they're aimed well, could take care of you, right? You only have 19% torpedo damage reduction, even if you take the Vigilance skill that uh, only increases it by an additional 7%. So, great. Now you have 20 six percent torpedo damage reduction woohoo that's nothing when it comes to taking full salvos of torpedoes now if there's only cruisers over there or if there's only a few destroyers over there or something like that and you're you can be sure maybe a carrier's flown over there and spotted stuff you can be sure that that's what you're going to be facing and then yes it may be good to push right but it really depends on your situation now things to absolutely not do with this thing do not flank with it it's not fast enough to flank, and your team will either win the flank and you'll be stuck without targets to shoot at, because remember, this thing is not reliable at range, uh, or your team will lose the flank or abandon you, and you'll be stuck out in the flank and get deep fried by some uh, HE spamming cruisers or blapped into the next county by some uh, other battleships that maybe have more accurate guns than you do. Do not stay at range with this ship. I know it has 15-inch guns. I know it's tempting just to snipe with it. But if you look at those accuracy numbers, you will hit nothing at range. I mean, you, you might get a lucky salvo or two, but that's 238 meters of dispersion at 17.73 kilometers. And you add a spotting aircraft on top of that. Could you imagine how bad your dispersion is when you launch that spotter aircraft and get a 21-kilometer range? It's going to be in 300-meter range or more. It's not, it, you're never going to hit anything at the range. Trust me, I've seen people try to do it. It never works well. Dead eye's not a thing anymore. Do not sit back there, right? The only reason why you should be back in that range is because you're being chased by the enemy. You're trying to slow them down your best you can, and they're within a range of 12 kilometers or so of you, right? I know your concealment is 13.44 kilometers, but you should be constantly firing, and so being undetected is not really 
uh, an objective of a Bayern player. With that said, this is a very good ship. If a cruiser gives you broadside at like 12 kilometers on it, you will send him back to port nine times, maybe not nine times, but seven times out of ten, and the rest of the times, you should damage him. Now, I understand it's German guns, so sometimes the penetration is not there. Sometimes you hit the belt or something wrong, and you don't get your citadel, so don't expect them, but definitely know, it, like, don't count on you finishing them off. Don't be on low health and, and create a move that counts on you uh, one salvo a cruiser but you can expect that he will melt fairly quickly under you right this is a it's a good ship and now with uh, destroyers approaching you know Bayern secondaries are scary to tier six destroyers like uh, trust me I've tried to pull stuff that's sneaky on Byron's and even when it's really well thought out and I carry out a good ambush on Byron even if I kill it like say with my Ohatnik or something like that come around an island even if I'm only spotted for a couple of seconds while my torpedoes make it there I do take a ton of damage from his secondaries right and sometimes you'll outright kill them sometimes you'll uh if they're not flying a flag you'll magazine detonate them right so that's an extra form of protection and of course when you're dealing with other battleships byron does tremendously well in most cases assuming it's battling a ship that's of uh similar tier to it or similar health pool to it it will damage them quite effectively especially with the ifhe skill and of course the main battery guns will certainly uh do their jobs at that close range and dealing with them. Also, if you're going to knife fight in this thing, quick tip. Normally what happens when you pass each other, one person fails to, to destroy the other ship in that really close range combat, say between two battleships or something, it may be tempting to turn around, right, and try to kind of circle each other and just take pot shots at each other trying to kill each other, right? It may be tempting to do that. I think I've gone over this in a previous podcast. may be tempting to do that, but do not, Right? Simply keep sailing straight. And this seems counterintuitive, right? Because now you can't get your guns on, right? Now there's there's no way for you to use half your firepower in most cases with most ships. And it it seems like that wouldn't work, but it works better because what angle is your armor at? Your, your plating in the back. What angle is it at when you're just sailing straight. It's gonna, it comes together as a stern, right? And so that's nearly impossible to actually find something to penetrate on, assuming your foe does not actually overmatch your, your uh, plating. They will simply fire at you and ricochet off your stern, while they'll likely do the dumb thing and try and circle you, and as soon as your rear guns reload, you'll have a flat broadside, a beautiful flat broadside to hit at point-blank range, which even the Bayern, you know, seven times out of ten, tends to find its mark. Now, if they overmatch you, you say they got like 16-inch guns, or I don't think there's any 18-inch guns at tier tier 8, I don't think, but uh, you say you're, you're dealing with a Kansas or something like that, and they overmatch you, turn a little bit. Don't turn full broadside, don't do that, that's not going to be good, but just turn a little bit, just to see if you can expose a little of the belt and tempt them to try and hit that citadel, but have it ricochet off, right? That's what you want to do with duels at close range. Um, obviously, eight kilometers on it, you can just duel with secondaries. Uh, that's perfectly comfortable for the Bayern. But uh, the, I guess the name of the game here is common sense, right? Watch that mini map. Who do you think is there? Count the ships and look at the team list. Where have they gone? What can you face? Are you going to face a long-range stealth torpedo boat that you're never going to see, but it's just going to kill with torpedoes? Maybe not the best place to push. Are you facing a gunboat uh, destroyer that's not really going to have a chance to do a lot 
to you before you kill them with your main guns and secondaries are you facing a bunch of cruisers that aren't going to have um, the range to really hurt you but are going to um, be kind of sitting ducks behind islands are you facing a ton of battleships right are there some things that haven't been spotted yet that could be there right you have to take that into account and realize you have to play reasonably aggressively here but you can't just push mindlessly take those calculated risks right sometimes you'll you'll try and and um and uh push and you'll think that everything you've got everything under control but suddenly a torpedo boat has actually crossed the map from where it was last spotted uh didn't even give any indication where it was and he's right there in torps yeah sometimes that stuff happens and you'll learn from it you'll learn uh, when you learn tendencies of destroyers and things like that uh, based on certain battle types, certain maps, and things like that. The situations are so wide, it's hard to give the concrete answer as to how to play the ship. And German battleships in general, this applies to many of them. Uh, except for the battlecruisers, the battlecruisers are kind of a different animal. But uh, the German battleships in particular, right? They None of the German ships particularly like pro prolonged fight, but the German battleships will certainly hold their own a prolonged fight. They prefer more uh, quick fights, quick secondary duels and things like that, but they'll hold their own. But then, like I said, name of the game, common sense, right? Don't push something that's stupid. Don't take that stupid risk. I mean, unless you're guaranteed to lose, your team is has fallen apart, yes, then just get your damage in, But right? Don't be stupid right away. Wait, be patient, right? Analyze the situation and then make a calculated push. Beginning of the battle, just sit behind the cap. Just sit probably about eight kilometers or so out of the cap. Uh, see what they're doing. Are they pushing you? Well, then kite away. Are you going to be able to push them successfully? Does it look like you have a favorable matchup? Then try pushing. Don't ever just go all in guns blazing unless, unless you're okay with being out of the battle in the first three minutes. But that's going to be it for me today. A little bit of a longer episode today. But I think it's a justice to a ship that's really good when played in the right hands. But it has kind of a high skill floor. I will warn that. The German battleships have a high skill floor. Uh, they have a really high skill ceiling, though. It's pretty incredible what sometimes they can do. Uh, they have limited applications in competitive use, especially the ones without uh, hydro on them. But they're certainly fun ships to play once you get the hang of them. And I bet anyone who tries these out will really like it. Uh, of course, after they get over the initial, why are my secondary guns not doing damage when they, they see these videos of people doing hundreds of thousands of damage in with their secondary guns and just expect it to happen to them uh, the first time they take it out. Uh, spoiler alert, it doesn't. But if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email me at rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com. I do read all the emails there, and I do take suggestions. The last two episodes, in fact, have been listener suggestions. Well, that's going to be all for today, guys. And until next time, captains...